This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review Jaundice by Lucy's Fur Coat. It sounds like a dirty bar, you know what I mean? Like a place where guys hang out. <laughs> I think we like the complete opposite ends of this album. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, this is uh, this is kind of a important episode for us uh, because it's my first post-baby episode. I thought that my entire outlook on everything would change. You know, people say your world is completely rocked. So I thought maybe I would completely change and I'd only want to listen to, you know, SpongeBob songs and... <laughs> <laughs> what's that what's that one the gabba gabba the yo gabba gabba yeah i was gonna listen to only yo gabba gabba but i surprisingly i'm still interested in in 90s music yeah I, th- I think the people that say that are the people looking for an excuse to have their war rocked now not i i this happened completely by coincidence uh-huh. but the album that we're reviewing is by a band called Lucy's Fur Coat. It was a suggestion by, by by Kyle Sunby. And the name of the album is Jaundice, which, surprisingly enough, which a lot of babies are, uh, our daughter Nina was Jaundice, which basically it has to do with uh, some sort of levels of something in the blood that make the... If a Jaundice baby usually has like a little bit of a yellow tint to their skin and they have to put them under a, a light in the hospital to um, give them more vitamin D it's essentially and they have to feed more so yeah it was a total coincidence that the did you wrap her in her fur coat and is her name Lucy no but I have a oh, I have a, I have a niece named Lucy so, you're not dedicated to this show I know I should have named her Lucy <laughs> middle name fur coat and then it would have worked out perfectly oh. but sadly uh, it did not Typical Bills fan. <laughs> Can't close it. Can't close Can't it. close. Hey, before we get into our history of the band and whatnot, uh, I want to say thank you to... This is going to sound like I'm in um, a sci-fi movie in the 70s, but I want to say thank you to N896 on iTunes because they left us a positive rating of four out of five stars, and they gave us a little positive... Uh, note that says I really like this podcast here are some bands I think you guys should do American Football Cap and Jazz Sunny Day Real Estate Saves the Day wow. so we want to say thank you to N896 uh, which hopefully was not a bot an emo bot was it the Mars Rover yeah it was the Mars Rover that suggested those bands uh, we'll definitely be getting I can tell you that one of those bands we will uh-huh. be reviewing soon I'm not going to tell you which one but of those four bands that were mentioned Cool. We'll I wonder what, what do we have to do to get five out of five, you think? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I feel like we're doing a five out of five show. I don't know what we See, got Most people are like for. four out of five. Ooh, that's good. I'm thinking, well, what, why are we not five out of five? There's Perhaps he had listened better. to one of our early episodes where the, the quality of our recording was not as high as it is now. Mm. And our, our banter was not as polished. <laughs> is that what this is? Yes, yeah, this is called yeah. polished and witty banter. Oh boy, are our listeners lucky? Yeah, they are. They're getting they're getting some quality stuff here. So let's get into the um, the album that we are 
going to take a listen to. As I mentioned, it was a suggestion. The name of the band is Lucy's Fur Coat. And this is the history of the band. History of the band. Lucy's Fur Coat was formed in San Diego, California in 1992 by Mike Santos on guitar and vocals, Tony San Filippio on guitar, Rob Brown on bass, and Scott Bauer on drums. Now, Mike Santos was the original singer, but then they added an actual vocalist uh, oh. named Charlie Ware. An actual vocalist? Well, I guess Mike wasn't really intended to be the lead singer, but he was doing. He was taking over the. He was handling the vocal duties until they found a front man. They were going with the five-person uh, format, you know, as employed by Pearl Jam at the time, mm. where you have a front man and then two guitarists, as opposed to the singing guitar player the more nirvana uh, format. the nirvana format so they signed to relativity records and their first album as we mentioned jaundice was released in 1994 the uh shortly after scott bauer the drummer left the band and he was replaced by scott clark which is really if you think about it that's convenient because then you can just keep calling the drummer scott you don't have to change your uh what you're calling him that is that's the first criteria for replacing a band member. Is that they have they, the same first name? Yep. Just yep. make things simple. Exactly. The band was unhappy with their contract with Relativity, so they broke up to basically get out of the contract and then reformed and signed to SRH Records. I don't know how that's possible because I think if you reform and you're using the same name, you'd still be under contract. But as we know, many bands were signed to many bad contracts. <laughs> or crazy contracts in the 90s. Uh, their second album, How to Survive an Air Crash, was released in 1998 on SRH. Mike Santos left the band, and they continued as a four-piece for another two years and then broke up. The band members have played in a variety of bands since then, including such bands as Pump House, The Scramblers, The Coolest Band in America, Midnight Rivals, and Bayside Bridge Club, Perhaps people in the San Diego area are familiar with some of those bands. I know that uh, PDX from Rocket from the Crypt is involved in at least one of those bands. I think it's Pump House. So that is the history of Lucy's Fur Coat, which was brought to you by us. But if you'd like to sponsor the history of the band, visit digmeoutpodcast.com and support the podcast by a t-shirt or make a donation. Jade. I got to ask, had you heard of Lucy's Fur Coat before we uh, got this suggestion? Well, what's funny is I think I've had this album for quite a while and just never listened to it. <laughs> wow. Uh, it may have, may have come up on random, but I never really, never caught my ear, never spent any time with it. But I have had it for, I don't, I don't exactly know, several years, I'd probably say at least. So in a weird way, yeah, I'm familiar with the name of the band, the album cover and vaguely what they sounded like but uh beyond that that's it so although you ignored them you've now had a chance to di- <laughs> to digest yeah you've had a chance to digest lucy's fur coat mm. so is uh is lucy's fur coat a uh, uh an original mink or is this a cheap knockoff that you uh mm. send back to the store oh 
that's a good way to put it. So I think you can definitely hear the San Diego thing in here, right? I, mm-hmm. I got a lot of rock from the Crypt moments with this mm-hmm. band. Um, I also heard uh, some Smithereens kind of thing going on um, in some of the stuff, which um, when you combine it with the rock from the Crypt element, kind of melts together pretty well. The problem is, is that's not terribly original. So at those times, it doesn't do a whole lot for me. Um, there's some tracks on here, though. I'd say probably half the album, actually, of the 12. I'd say there's probably six songs in here where they start to find their own sound and they're less focused on being sort of the, the high-energy, fun, punk band that Rock from the Crypt is, and they go into other areas that uh, Rocket from the Crypt would never go into. So they slow down or... Mm-hmm. Get, play with some more, you know, play with acoustic guitars and textures and things. Um, I think actually it works really well. Um, I like the singer's voice quite a bit. It's interesting yeah. to hear that they found another singer. It's kind of a, geez, I don't know, Ian Asbury mixed with, I don't know. Give me you know who he reminded me of? He reminded me of, um, and I had to look up his name, but Dave Windorf of Monster Magnet. Reminded oh, yeah, me a yeah, lot yeah. of the guy from Monster Magnet. Yeah, and I'm a big Monster Magnet fan. For those of you that don't know, I have all their albums, and I listen to them a lot. They're a, they're a, described as being a stoner metal band, but they're a lot more experimental than I think a lot of what you traditionally think of as being a, a stoner metal band. Mm-hmm. Um, and I th- I think there's elements of some of that stoner rock mixed with punk, mixed with like you said, I mean, that Smithereens is a really good comparison in terms of like the guitar riffing that's going on mm-hmm. um, on a lot of these songs. It was a simple, straightforward three yeah. chords. It's kind of like Sometimes they uh, work well. Yeah, yeah. The problem is, I think on some of those songs, they, they're just not very well developed in terms of, you know, having a chorus to pay off. You got, if you're going to be that simple, you know, you got to give me a hook at some point. And, and some of those songs, they, they don't do that. Um, so it doesn't really come together as much. Um, I, I kind of like like track five, Easy, which is, I don't think there's anything else on the album that's really like that. Which is kind of this really laid back acoustic, um, at least in the intro song, kind of a sing-along kind of thing almost. You could kind of see it as real simple, like easy to remember the lyrics and kind of sing along to. Um, not overthought. Kind of a in a more of a, a relaxed kind of vibe to it, and I, I really like that kind of and, and the guitar tone on it's really cool. It's like a mix of this dirty electric and a, I think an acoustic together, kind of recorded at the same time. It just sounds that and his voice come together, and it sounds really unique and, and pretty cool. Just so you're down, or something is still smoke rings around your head. You stepped up to the clouds. You had a look around, and what you know it 
I wish there was more stuff like that on this album. One of the one of the cool um, recording tricks that I think that there you mentioned it there. I think that we learned, or I don't know, maybe you knew this, but when we were in the studio, is recording a guitar distorted, but then also miking the actual strings so that you're hearing the pick hit the strings sounding like an mm-hmm. acoustic, but at the same time you're getting that distortion through the amp. So you're basically mm-hmm. creating two guitar tracks out of one. Um, and I think that's what's going on in parts of that song. And it, it's an, it adds a little bit of more depth than just throwing an acoustic guitar down with a guitar with an electric, you know, just doubling it or something. It's it's just a little bit different of a take on a clean and an electric playing together. Mm-hmm. And it's it's nice. Uh, I, the only issue I have with that song is just I think the intro is just too long. I would yep. I like it when it kicks in. I wish it would kick in a little bit faster. But it is nice that they're able to back down the energy on some songs and play around with dynamics a little bit more and tempo. Whereas, like you mentioned, like Rock from the Crypt, they don't tend to do that. They'll get in a mid-tempo area, but they're never slow. And I think they get away be- away with it because John Reese's vocals are always doing something interesting and they're always doing cool backing vocals, which this band actually does do on a couple songs. Track 3, Super... Mm-hmm. has that really cool chorus where the it's like the rest of the band is is doing a gang chorus where they're yelling hey that's great no that's super mm-hmm. it almost reminded me of like a local h song um i could have totally seen that on like 120 minutes if there was a video or alternative nation like that song totally reminded me of one of those bands you'd see for like two weeks and then they'd be gone Yeah, that was a weird that song's a it has a this verse that almost sounds like new york dolls the way he's like delivering the the vocal line yeah it's a little snotty yeah and then they get to the chorus and it's i guess i was comparing it more to nirvana kind of chorus but i guess local h would make sense too it just sounded like two different songs kind of jammed together and this is the point of the album where i'm like ah there's bits and parts here that i like mm-hmm. and there's that woo thing going on which right it's like it's not really the chorus. I don't know what it's like an intro and a bridge or something. Yeah. So it wasn't quite melding to me. It just sounded like three different parts kind of jammed together. And I'm, at that point in the album, I'm like, you know, where's this band going to go? Like, how <laughs> are they ever going to pull this together and start to sound original? So it, there's a lot of moments like that and a lot of songs like that where there's parts and pieces that I like, but, you know, there'll be a part after it that I really doesn't do anything for me. One of the tracks that I, I wanted to highlight is uh, track 10, Not My Fault. Mm. I I liked that song because I think it added a nice change of pace. I think, uh, I don't remember. I'm going to have to go check and see. For the most part, 
their song length is at a pretty good clip. I mean, there's like two songs, two or three songs that are over five minutes. I think a band like this needs to stay under five minutes for the most part because they don't really do a lot of... There's not a lot of diversity in the riffing from the guitars or from the what's going on dynamically. So sticking into like the three to four minute range is ideal. But having like that one song that's like a minute and a half and it's just sort of high energy, draws a lot on their punk influences I, I really liked throwing that in at the end because it felt like a breath of like a little breath of fresh air and it kind of reminded me again of the stoner rock thing it reminded me of the early like Fu Manchu which isn't quite as polished as the later and and mid years it's a little rougher it's a little raw it, it gets a little punkier in some aspects mm-hmm. um, and I like that mention which i don't know if you picked up on this but track eight there's an intro riff to that song <laughs> is that kiss is unholy no it's a war machine war machine i can't yeah Man, i don't know if that was on like purpose that. or not but it's exactly the same riff and the thing that sucks is that it, it doesn't need to be there at all no. like it, it plays no role in the song like it doesn't it's not reprised try to build out of it and it doesn't really work and the rest of the song is actually one of my favorite songs on the record in terms of uh you know it's it's uh kind of has a sound gardeny kind of vibe to it but it's just a good rock song for mm-hmm. the most part after that um and it's pretty well written it's got a, one of the better choruses on the record too for me and uh it's just unfortunate that <laughs> that intro's on there I, maybe because i'm a kiss fan and i'm familiar with that song i it, it's just really distracting for me but from a songwriting standpoint, it doesn't even serve a purpose. It's just, you know, it's like a minute or 40 seconds and it doesn't, it doesn't come back. It doesn't, I, I'm not quite sure why it's in there at all. I don't know. I, I listened to the song and I went back and I was like, did they ever reprise that part? And then they don't they no. never bring that part back. And I was like, well, why the hell do you have a whole 40 second long intro mimicking kiss? If you're not going to use it somehow. Yeah. But I, there, did you catch on any of the, uh, um, I have a couple songs here I wrote down that I thought they sound a little bit like Paw, and even like uh, the mm-hmm. last song, Seven Forty Seven. When by the time you get to the chorus, it has a real like, uh, like Southern rock 
Midwestern kind of what you call it, kind of shuffle feel to it almost, or just kind of a sense about it. Were you, yeah, were you picking I, up on those kinds yeah, of Yeah, actually, the last two songs kind of reminded me of this is going to be an obscure reference for most people, but if you live in Columbus, Ohio, you're going to know this reference, which is Bob City. Mm. Uh, Bob yeah. City had a shuffle feel to a lot of their stuff. They were mm-hmm. definitely like trading on the Leonard Skinner, but with like an ACDC feel. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I heard those songs. The, the guitar riff in Southern Cooking is very like Southern rock. Yeah. Bob City, that that sort of, you know, some of those other, not Skinner necessarily, because Skinner I don't think ever got that quite that heavy, but just, you know, that sort of feel. And 747 sort of continues. Those two songs back to back definitely have that sound. works good with that sound it's just yeah those songs aren't incredibly well written but it, it just there's something there that uh i kind of look to hear them pursue a little bit further and see where they can go with it yeah. well it's the thing that is the double-edged sword is that he's a he's got a great tone to his voice it's it's ragged and it's raw but it can get energetic and it can get you know he, he can throw some wryness with his delivery that can also cover up the fact that some of the lyrics are kind of bad. Mm-hmm. I think he throws in, in, in 747, the chorus ends with the line, every dog has its day. It's just mm-hmm. like, you can't think of a better <laughs> cliche to throw in there every, other than every dog has its day. Yeah. So it's, you know, I, we're always talking about guys needing personality in their vocal, not just delivering the lines, but having something projecting that in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that covers up the fact that you don't have a lot to say vocal or you know lyrically and the sound of the band is very god i'm trying to find the right word for this i don't know masculine mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean between his voice and just the kind of brackiness of the guitars and i don't know it just it it sounds like a dirty bar you know what i mean like a place where guys hang out <laughs> there's nothing like <laughs> I couldn't imagine women or girls liking this band, you know, or finding very much to like about this band. It's just, I don't know. It just reeks of testosterone. But lyrically, it kind of doesn't go quite far enough in that direction. It's not like anti-women band in terms of like Rush, which is just nerdy. This is just more like testosterone-y, like Clutch. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's kind of in that ballpark. But, you know, Clutch does some pretty interesting things lyrically that Mm -hmm. this band, plus they have a sort of a just 
a musicianship to them that this band doesn't quite have. But I, I think they could kind of, it would make more sense, I guess, if lyrically it, it went somewhere. So like, uh, you know, Clutch is almost like Rush-like in the way that their lyrics are just really unique and they tell stories and make lots of historical references. And, you know, it's stuff that guys can kind of nerd out on. And uh, if this band did something interesting lyrically, either they kind of put played off, I guess, the, the sound of the band. It would start to make a lot more sense to me. It's pretty cookie cutter. Yeah. In terms of yeah. Lyrics. Well, the, and, and also in terms of structure, I don't think there's a single song that doesn't break the verse, chorus, verse, chorus, maybe a bridge, chorus out. Like they are almost uniformly in in some way connected to that format. Whereas a band like Clutch would be way more pushing the envelope into different directions like Rush. But this is not the the pool that this band is swimming in. They're much closer to the Rocket from the Crypt, keep it simple, three or four minute long songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and Paw is, a, is actually a, a band that I brought up in terms of who I thought if you if you dig in Paw that this would be a band that you would probably want to check out. Because Paw has elements of that Midwestern, not Southern rock, I don't think of it, but like a Midwestern take or mm-hmm. plain, plain state take on uh, Alternative from the 90s. The one thing that did bother me throughout the entire album was the second guitar in terms of the leads and the solos. I just felt like there was a lot of weakness in that playing. Like none of the solos really elevated the songs and a lot of the leads were like the most simple, like let's play four notes over this guitar riff that are in the scale and let's not really do anything that's challenging or dissonant or... I don't know. Did you pick up on that? Yeah, I mean, and there's a ton of opportunity there because um, while I like his voice, melodically, you know, it doesn't always um, lend itself to, you know, delivering a great melody. And sometimes that can be enhanced or helped if there's a guitar, you know, really smart guitar intertwined in there to help counter and create melody where there otherwise isn't any. So there's tons of opportunity here to do cool stuff and there's not much... It's pretty pretty straightforward. So in terms of your rating for this album, would you put it at a full album, an EP, or a single? I got six songs, Mark, that I like. Um, so I got Sanity, Same, Southern Cooking, which I actually think I like 747 better than that. Elementary, Easy, and Falling. So, you know, there's 12 songs here. I like half of them. So That's interesting. Uh, I think we like the complete opposite ends of this album. Because <laughs> I had Treasure Hand, Super, Still I Complain, Insanity, Not My Fault. Yeah. So, and we're both at an EP. We're just at completely different EPs for this album. Yeah, well, like I said, I think I started off saying there's a little bit of identity issue here. They're not quite sure what kind of band they are. And- mm-hmm. You know, you're responding to, to the one half of the band, and I'm responding to the other. But the problem is, they need to be one band. <laughs> I am curious to check out. I'm curious to check out the second album because I want to see where they went with the sound. Mm-hmm. You know, did they take it in more of a? Did they get more punky? Did they get more of a southern rock sound? Did they get more, or was it just as con, you know sort of conflicted from song to song as this one was? 
So, in terms of uh, bands that you might suggest uh, as relatively close or gateway drugs to uh, listening to this band, was there anybody that stuck out? Other than we mentioned like Paw and Rocket from the Crypt. A lot of bands written down here. There's even moments where it's, it reminds me of Everclear, The Call, what else? Soundgarden. There's some Soundgarden riffs on here. So I, I don't think there's anything on here that's... I couldn't I couldn't think of any newer bands, to be honest. I mean, a lot of it is, is very 90s oriented um, in terms of their influences and to me who they sound like. How about you? Well, for uh, like particular songs, I heard things like track six sensor kind of had a glucifer ish sound to me, mm-hmm. but that was like the only song. And there were times where his voice reminded me of like Nash Cato from urge overkill, mm-hmm. but not necessarily the entire song. Um, a current band that, and I haven't heard the newest stuff, but from an EP or I think it was an album two years ago, uh, the company band, they kind of reminded me of some of the stuff that the company band did, which is a little bit, again, more on like a, not a stoner rock, because I don't think of them as being stoner. But no, just it's, a, like a, it's like a classic rock revival kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I guess uh, I hadn't I hadn't thought about the vocal. I guess the vocal is in the same kind of ballpark as that. And there, there are elements, you know, in like Treasure Hands and Still I Complain, that musically they get close to that, what the company mm-hmm. band is doing. So there you have it. That is Lucy's fur coat. We need to say thank you to Kyle Sunby for suggesting this particular album. And uh, I think it was a while ago, so I apologize that we took so long to get to it. But all in due course. We get to all of our albums in due course, even if that means 2018. We'll be wrapping up our listener suggestions. Uh, If you like what you heard on tonight's show please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at itunes just like our newest fan n896 did or the mars rover is the mars rover a fan of mars electric i'm curious or mars volta or mars volta or blue sky on mars by matthew sweet anybody knows twitter account yeah, maybe we could check that Twitter account. Let ask ask the Mars Rover what their playlist is. We'd like to know. That'd be that'd be good information for our podcast. We can make a '90s podcast for the Mar- the Mars Rover. Damn, why didn't we think about that, Jay? Total tie-in. No, I'll be honest. I didn't know the Mars Rover was going to Mars until the day it happened. I was I like, "What? Either. We shot something into space? Yeah, I thought we stopped doing that." That we only no, did that just, to launch satellites for cable TV. We just don't have the money to put men up there yeah. anymore. That's true. Yeah. We send robots controlled by monkeys. So good luck to that monkey driving that robot up there. And uh, we'll be back t- next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Want to leave feedback? Join the conversation at digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. While you're there, support the podcast by visiting our donation and merchandise pages. And thanks for listening. Oh,
experience. 